the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to John Calvin and the Protestant Reformation, it oftentimes gets a bad rap. But as we'll see today, there is glory in this Reformation as God sought to reform the church. Join us. Abounding Grace is next. go through the Old Testament and you see God dealing with a rebellious church. He'll let them go down a road only so long before he makes a correction. Sometimes it's a rather challenging one at that. Well, the same is true in the New Testament world as well. And it was in the 1500s that God saw fit to change the direction the church, the Roman Catholic Church, was headed in for centuries. It's called the Protestant Reformation. One of the leaders of that Reformation was John Calvin. And that's who we're exploring today as we continue our look at this Protestant Reformation. Join us. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. As we began looking at the Protestant Reformation, I discussed the first two phases of John Calvin's life. The first phase being the preparation and conversion of Calvin between 1509 and 1536 in France. Then the second phase of his life was from 1536 to 1538, which was his first stay in Geneva, Switzerland. We looked at the political and church troubles that forced him to flee to Geneva and William Farrell's warning of hell if he didn't remain there to pastor the church. I discussed Calvin's authoring of the Institutes of the Christian Religion at the age of just 26 and the tremendous influence that book has had on the advancing of the Reformation throughout Europe and the United States and from the United States all over the world. If you were not here last week, I would suggest that you pick up that sermon. Today we will look at the third and fourth phases of Calvin's life and how God used him to advance his glory in the church and in the world. Phase three of John Calvin's life was between 1538 to 1541. This is the ministry of Calvin in Strasbourg. Calvin went to Geneva, keep this in mind, was born in France, trained in France, was a priest in France and a lawyer in France. Then God converted him. He became a minister of the gospel and went to Geneva after Pharaoh threatened him with hell. He got kicked out of Geneva for standing firm on church discipline and became pastor of a church in Strasbourg. While he was there in Strasbourg, he was under the powerful influence of a great reformer, by the name of Martin Butzer. There at Strasbourg, Calvin's ministry was multifaceted. Listen to all of the things that he was involved in. While there, he was a pastor, 
He was a counselor, an author, a professor, a traveling debater, a defender par excellence of Protestantism, and all of this is amazing in light of the fact that he was a very feeble man plagued with a variety of serious illnesses. And while he was at Strasbourg, he fell in love. He met and fell in love with and married a woman by the name of Idolette de Bure. She was a widow of an Anabaptist leader converted to the Reformed faith. She died after nine years of marriage to Calvin, and she left no children of Calvin's own except for those he himself adopted, which were hers by her previous marriage. A few days after her death, and they had only been married for nine years, Calvin wrote this letter. Although the death of my wife has been exceedingly painful to me, yet I subdue my grief as well as I can. Had not a powerful self-control been vouchsafed to me, in other words, given to him, I could not have borne up so long. I have been bereaved of the best companion of my life, of one who, had it been so ordered, would not only have been the willing sharer of my exile and poverty, but even of my death. During her life, she was the, helpful, the faithful helper of my ministry." End quote. She gave birth to a son at one time during their marriage, and he died in infancy. And right after the death of this infant son, Calvin wrote this. God has given me a little son, and he has taken him away. But I have thousands of children in the whole Christian world. The last phase of his life was 1541 to 1564, his second stay in Geneva. So the first phase, birth and preparation in France. Second phase, first stay in Geneva. The third phase, his ministry in Strasbourg after being banished from Geneva. And the last phase is the final years of his life, 1561 to 1564, his second stay in Geneva. There was a powerful cardinal, a Roman Catholic cardinal by the name of Sadolette, who in 1540 treacherously invited the people of Geneva to return to the Roman Catholic Church. He said, well, let's quit this feuding. This is where you belong in the Catholic Church. You've all been misled. People have been messing with your minds and your emotions. You need to come back home. We will welcome you with open arms. So he gave them powerful and convincing arguments of why the citizens of Geneva should come back into the embrace of the Roman Catholic Church and people were considering it. The town fathers were scared to death. But no one in Geneva was competent to respond to and refute this brilliant letter of Cardinal Sautelette. So on October the 20th, 1540, the city council asked Calvin to return. They promised him that if he would return to Geneva, they would use all the resources of this city-state to promote the Reformation and the glory of God if Calvin would just come back as pastor 
of the church there. Although Calvin was reluctant to leave Strasbourg and return to Geneva, on November the 1st, 1540, he agreed to do so. But while Calvin and Pharaoh were out of Geneva, all of those years, Geneva had fallen back into its old ways, gambling, drunkenness, street brawling, adultery, flourishing, lewd songs were publicly sung, persons romped naked through the streets. Sounds a lot like a few cities in America, does it not? Maybe even San Francisco. But it had fallen back into its old ways. But during the times that Calvin and Farrell had been gone, gone, God was at work in the city of Geneva as well to prepare it for Calvin to return. Of the four officials on the city council who took the lead to banish Calvin and Farrell, one was condemned to death for murder. Another was condemned to death for forgery. A third was condemned to death for treason. And the fourth died resisting arrest. God was at work. In Geneva. Well, even though Calvin decided to come back and believed God was calling him to come back to Geneva, he couldn't stand the thought of returning to the city that mistreated him, that stoned his house, harassed him, and insulted him. In fact, we have a letter in which Calvin wrote Pharaoh about this, which says, quote, Whenever I call to mind the wretchedness of my life in Geneva, How can it not be but that my very soul shudder at any proposal for my return, end quote. In other words, he wasn't returning to Geneva for his health. He went there after much negotiation, and Geneva and Calvin have been joined together ever since. His life in Geneva, although incomparably useful in the reformation of the church, was a very hard and difficult life. Listen to this by historian Otto Scott. Despite charges that he had grown wealthy, Calvin wrote that he did not possess one foot of land and had not enough money to buy one acre. I'm still using someone else's furniture. Neither the table at which we eat nor the bed on which we sleep is my own. End quote. In fact, the house in which he and his family lived was owned by the city council. Moreover, his health was continuously bad. His physical condition makes for painful reading. He had gout, kidney stones, piles, and hemorrhages. He couldn't ride on a horse. He suffered from tuberculosis. He had to be carried first on a chair and then on a Litter to the pulpit, even lying in bed was painful for him. Food was distasteful to him, and he complained that the taste of wine was bitter. No wonder he began to pray for his death. But in the midst of all that, his concern was the proper organization and order of the church of Almighty God in Geneva. So Calvin arrived in Geneva, September the 13th, 1541. And on that day, he was appointed chairman of the company of pastors there. 
and was instructed to compose a draft of organizational principles defining the mission, the authority, and the order of the church, and defining the relationship of the church and the state. Calvin did what he was told. He was given that commission on the day he returned, September the 13th, and on September the 26th, he gave the report to the town council. And on November the 20th, 1541, his recommendations were all adopted for the church in Geneva. And there were basically two recommendations. The church was to be organized in Geneva with four offices. There were to be ministers who had the responsibility of preaching the word of God and of ministering the sacraments. There were to be doctors, that is, teachers, who were responsible for Christian education and instruction. And then there were to be elders who were responsible for the supervision of, supervision of doctrine and the life of the members of the congregation. And there were to be deacons responsible for the care of the material and the social needs of the congregation. So what he sought for and got was a Presbyterian church. The second great principle he fought for and approved and was approved was that although both the church and the state are accountable to God and his law, they were separate institutions with separate functions. The church was not to be under the state, was to be under solely Christ the King. The purpose of the civil government was to administer justice, and the purpose of the church was to administer grace, to preach the gospel. And you see, that was a revolutionary thought in those days. Not only among Roman Catholics, but also among the children of the Protestant Reformation as well, who could not imagine the church not being under the authority of either a king, parliament, or some branch of civil government. But Calvin said, the church should not be under the state at all, but under Christ the King alone. The Council of Geneva gave in to Calvin, and so the church was established, thus making, as Benjamin Warfield said, the church absolutely autonomous in its own spiritual sphere, end quote. In asking for this, Calvin was asking for something absolutely new in the Protestant world. In the fruits of that great victory, we have all had our part, even today in the 21st century. And every church in Protestant Christendom, which enjoys today any liberty whatsoever, owes it all to John Calvin, Baptist, Presbyterians, Methodist, whatever it may be. It was he who first asserted this liberty in his early manhood. He was only 12, 27 years of age when he presented this program to the city council. It was he who first granted it in a lifelong struggle against a determined opposition. And it was he who taught his followers to value it above life itself and to secure it to their successors with the outpouring of their own blood. And thus, Calvin's great figure rises before us, not only in a true sense, the creator of the Protestant church, but the author of all the freedom it exercises in its spiritual 
sphere. Calvin also had a concern for social order. He worked to establish the sole and total exclusive rule of the Lord Jesus Christ over all individuals, families, relationships, endeavors, enterprises, and institutions of Geneva and of all mankind. John Knox, who pastored an English-speaking church in Geneva for a while during Buddy Mary's reign in Scotland, and who studied under Calvin, described Geneva during this period of the last phase of Calvin's life, and he said concerning Geneva that it was the most perfect school of Christ that ever was in the earth since the days of the apostles, end quote. And I truly believe he was right. Calvin found Geneva full of immorality and anarchy, and he developed it into a well-ordered, prospering Christian community. Calvin also had a great concern for education. He set up an academy at Geneva that was the intellectual center of the Protestant Reformation, and it dispersed Calvinism all over Europe. The Academy of Calvin uh, of Calvin's offered a distinctively Christian education based on Reformed principles. Over 900 men from all over Europe enrolled the first year, and at least that same number of refugees from France and England were educated in his schools. From the school where Calvin taught preachers and evangelists, they were sent all over Europe and even as far away as Brazil in the 16th century. Many of the graduates of the school were sent to France, which was a dangerous mission, because to be reformed in a Roman Catholic nation was to be automatically guilty of treason, which was a capital crime. But in time, these Calvinistic graduates of Calvin's academy created networks of secret churches which sent information back to Calvin and Geneva. Services held by these graduates were held in private homes behind heavily covered windows and sometimes in barns and sometimes in fields and the Protestant Reformation spread like wildfire. Calvin faced and refuted opposition from three basic sides, three basic sources of opposition to Calvin, the Roman Catholic Church, the Libertines, and the Anabaptist. And it's important for us to understand how he dealt with these three groups and how they opposed the Protestant Reformation. First, the Libertines, or the Liberals. These were antinomian socialists. They had no love for the law of God. They worked towards revolution in Geneva against Calvin and were working to, uh, toward the overthrow of any Christian moral order. They were not Christians in any stretch of the imagination. Calvin faced not just verbal assaults from them, but bloodthirsty opposition. I want to read to you a story from Calvin's life in which he had to face the bloodthirstiness of the Libertines with great courage and faith. Quote, The Council of Geneva was assembled, and never had any session been more tumultuous. The parties, weary of speaking, tired of arguing with one another, frustrated 
began to appeal to arms. In other words, let's quit talking. It's time for guns. The people heard the appeal and Calvin appears, but he was unattended. He was out without any bodyguards now. He, received, he is received at the lower part of the hall with cries of death. People cheering, kill Calvin. Now, here is a sickly little man. His, he folds his arms. He looks at the agitators in the face, but not one of them dare strike him. Then calmly walking through the midst of this, these violent people with his breast uncovered or his shirt opened, he said, now understand, here's the crowd and they're ready with the swords crying out for Calvin's death, a sickly guy. He tears open his shirt and cries out, you want blood? There's still a few drops here. Strike. Not an arm is raised. Calvin then slowly ascends the stairway that leads to the council chamber. The hall was at, on the point of being drenched with blood. Swords were drawn and flashing. When people saw the reformer, the weapons were lowered, and a few words sufficed to calm the agitation. Calvin, taking the arm of one of the council members, again descends the stairs and cried out to the people that he wished to address them. He spoke with such energy and feeling that tears flowed from their eyes while their swords were hanging down at their sides. The crowd embraced one another, crying on each other's necks, and they left in silence. The patriots, or what were called secret Catholics, and the libertines had lost the day. From that moment on, it was easy to foretell that his victory would remain with that reformer. This is what Calvin had to deal with from the Libertines. And now the Anabaptist. Please don't identify the Anabaptists with the Baptist of the United States. Baptists today make a mistake when they identify themselves with the Anabaptists of the 16th century. No Baptist in his right mind should ever want to be identified with these kooks. It was quite a mixed crowd. Let me tell you some of the things these people believed. First of all, Anna means again. Anabaptists believed in baptizing people all over again because they didn't believe that other Christian baptisms counted for anything. This was a radical group of reformers. They weren't Roman Catholic, and actually they really weren't reformed. They included revolutionaries who wanted to overthrow any kind of social order. They included people who believed that the inner life, you need no connection to the word of God. God would just tell you what to believe. The one place where they did have a connection with modern Baptists is that they had a new doctrine, a new doctrine that no one had practiced for 1,500 years, and that was believers' baptism. They did not baptize babies. They only baptized people un upon the profession of faith, and that was unheard of in those days. And they were pacifists. They didn't believe in self-defense or in war. They also didn't believe Christians should hold a political office. They believed Christians couldn't take oaths. 
They didn't believe Christians could use the civil courts or judges. And by the way, they were pure communists. They built communist communities based upon the common ownership of property. And they were docetists. And that is, they didn't believe that Jesus was really human. And they were rapturous, which was also a new idea then. Waiting for Jesus to come and rapture them out of the tribulation. And then Jesus would return immediately to set up his kingdom. And whenever they took over someplace and set up an Anabaptist kingdom, like in Munster, Germany, they would pass unbelievable laws. They took over Munster and they passed a law making it a complete communist state. They required the shared ownership and common ownership of property. They passed a law legalizing polygamy and also to show their freedom in Christ, decided it was proper for everyone to run around the streets naked, showing that they were not under the law, but under grace. So Calvin had to deal with this group as well. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.